Liverpool Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. How are you, friend? Welcome to another episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. This time around, we have an interview with Barry Mann and Cynthia Weil. These are two of the great songwriters in American popular music. You might think I'm exaggerating, but they are inductees of the Songwriters Hall of Fame. They're a married couple, and they wrote such songs as You Lost That Love and Feeling, which was recorded by the Righteous Brothers. They wrote On Broadway, which was recorded by the Drifters, George Benson, I'm almost positive James Taylor recorded a version of On Broadway. It's pretty much an American standard at this point. They also wrote Somewhere Out There that was recorded by Linda Ronstadt and James Ingram. Great song. They like to describe their music, the songs that they wrote, as kind of like the link between the Tin Pan Alley and early rock and roll. They're kind of like right there. They're not exactly the American Songbook, and by that I mean the the classics from the American Songbook, but they're not quite the early rock and roll. I mean, they are rock and roll, but I think when you listen to their music, it kind of makes sense, which I hope this interview inspires you to do that. They're very nice people. I got that sense from doing this interview with them. I feel like if I saw them on the street, I could say hello to them and talk to them for a minute, introduce myself. I guess what I'm saying is I hope I get to do another interview with them sometime. Maybe I will. One thing, though, and this is just a minor point. Something that Barry Mann says is that he thinks that Billy Joel's best songs are his rocking songs and less so the ballads. When he said that, I didn't say anything because here I am doing this interview with him. It's not my opinion that counts. But I was thinking the exact opposite. I was thinking about And So It Goes, Lullaby, that he wrote for his daughter Alexa, Always a Woman, and all of his ballads just kind of flooded my mind, and I think that those are Billy Joel's better songs. Just my humble opinion. We are in complete agreement on this. Billy Joel is one of the greatest songwriters American popular music has ever known. Anyhow, Like I said, I hope that this interview inspires you to listen to some of their great music. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, it is our great honor to welcome Cynthia Weil and Barry Mann. It's a great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. I kind of want to start from the beginning. What was life like growing up for you folks? Was it a very musical household? My household was kind of musical. On my mother's side, there were a lot of musicians. Uh, she had cousins that were classical musicians. As a matter of fact, one of them, I think, was a lead violinist in the uh, New York Philharmonic. And there were some friends that lived in Brighton Beach, and we would visit. And the father would play violin, the son would play piano, and then the, one of the daughters played play cello. cello, And they, they'd kind of put on a performance. So I, I really was brought up with music. My mother played piano, too, and my brother would always be playing classical music in the background. And me? Miss Weil. <laughs> yeah, absolutely nothing except no music in my family, except that my mother's sister, who was my favorite aunt, was a dancer. 
and that was the only connection to music there was in my household. But she was definitely a showbiz, anti-mame kind of person. Right. And you were like an exotic dancer, weren't you, Cynthia? <laughs> <laughs> you could bleep that, Paul. <laughs> we, we, we will. Well, I don't know. <laughs> okay. So what about favorite musicians growing up, like favorite artists? Well, I started listening to pop radio even right before rock and roll even hit. So I used to listen to a, a radio program called Martin Block's Maple Leaf Ballroom. I think it was on ABC Radio. And they would play on Sundays, they'd play the top 20 records. And then they'd do a countdown. So some of the records that there were a lot of pop records for that, that period of time. I remember I was a big Frankie Lane fan, stuff like Oh Lucky Old Son and Mule Train. And then when rock and roll hit, there, was, there were a lot of doo-wop records. And I'm trying to remember the early, my early, I liked a lot of Presley. I thought he was great. I, I can't remember really. I mean, there's probably a list of, of, of artists that I really like, but I can't remember more right now. I used to also listen to Believe Ballroom, and uh, I loved the countdown, but I was basically interested in musical theater. And even when I kind of got into the pop music business, Barry had to educate me on, on pop music. Yes, that's true. I, I got into the Drifters and Ed, the Everly Brothers, and I told Cynthia to listen to those those records especially, plus everything else that was going on. What about the first song you guys wrote? Not together, but just all in all. Uh, I was around, this before I was in the music business, I, I was about 11, 11 or 12, and I wrote a song called, uh, one of those kind of had doo-wop chords, you know, C, A minor, F, a G, and it was a song called The Ecstasy of Love. And uh, as a matter of fact, when I got in the music business, that was the first song I got published. I was very lucky. In fact, it was the first song I even showed, and that was the song. Cynthia? Yes. What was the first song I ever wrote? Hmm. I think it was probably that song that was on the back of Way of a Clown. Oh, uh, Sherry? Yes, right. I couldn't remember the name of right. it, which I wrote with Teddy Randazzo, and that's how I met Barry. Well, on that note, this question is for Cynthia Weil. When mm -hmm. you first met Barry Mann, what was your first impression? He was very hot. <laughs> it's my second impression, too. <laughs> How about when you saw me play piano? Oh, I, I just thought he was sexy and talented and terrific. and what, I mean, it's so much so that I found out where he was signed and followed him up there. So it, it was a case of stalking. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, but when I came, I, I went up to play a song for Teddy Randazzo with Howie Greenfield. And when I played, she, had, she was really into a lot of kind of show music. And when I played the song, I mean, she had never really seen somebody play pop music the way I played it. You know, Carol King could have gone up there and she would have been bold. I would have fallen in love with Carol King. I could have married her. <laughs> okay. Well, this question is for Barry Mann. When right. you first met Cynthia Weil, what was your first impression of her? Well, you know, I, I saw her. It's when I went up to play the song for Teddy. She was there. She was writing with Randazzo. So I looked. I thought she was really gorgeous. And But I, I thought that she was Teddy Randazzo's girlfriend. So I didn't do anything. I mean, I, you know, I just kind of laid off it and I forgot about it. I mean, the next thing I knew, I think the next week, she came up to <laughs> Alden Music where I was signed as a, as a songwriter. And, you know, that was it. She kind of hooked me. Now, if you also want to know what I thought of her talent, uh, at that point we weren't writing together. But I asked to see her lyrics. I mean, after we were started to going, we were going together. Oh, about a few months later, I asked to see her lyrics. I was curious. 
And I really loved what she had shown me. I really thought that she had a great combination of sophistication and also soul. And I thought it would be a really, it would really fill a niche that was needed in the pop market. I was hoping that you could tell us about the first time that you guys wrote together. What was that experience like? God, Sin, do you remember? I, I, I don't even remember. It almost, I, I almost, I can almost say it feels like the way we write now. I mean, we, we, we just kind of hit it off. It just worked. The first song we, we yeah. wrote was that Vinnie Monty song, yeah. a song called Painting the Town with Teardrops. And, and, and we you got a record on it. And we got a record on it. And the, I think the second song we wrote was Bless You, the Tony Orlando cut. That was our first chart record. Yeah. Amazing. I was hoping that you could also share your memories of the time at Don Kirshner's Alden Music. Mm-hmm. It was Alden, although it was Al and Don. The, a lot of people do say Alden, but it was Alden. And it was it was like a, a school for songwriters with a bunch of crazy and ambitious, energetic kids all competing with each other for records. What about your memories of the Brill Building around that area? Well, you know, we, were, we weren't in the Brill Building, of course. We were in 1650 Broadway, which is like kind of the sister building. It was, it was a few blocks up on 51st Street between Broadway and 7th Avenue. So, I mean, so the Brill Building or 1650 was similar, except the Brill Building had older publishers. But it was all very competitive and everybody, at least it was competitive with the Alden music. We, were, we weren't as competitive with other writers that were not part of Alden. But uh, I'm sure they were competitive within their own organizations. It was really kind of a hotbed of, of, of pop writing. It was a very exciting time. Even though at the time we were doing it, we didn't know how. <laughs> How exciting it was right. until later on. And, and we didn't know that our songs would end up lasting the way they did. But it was a great time for music. Everything was wide open. There were a lot of a lot of record labels. There were a lot of artists who didn't write their own songs. So there was a lot of stuff, a lot of places for our material. And also, we could write all different kinds of songs. We could right. ex- we could experiment. There was nothing to hold us back. We, Carol King and, and, and Jerry Goffin and Cynthia and myself, always thought of ourselves as the the bridge between old Tin Pan, tin pan Alley and rock and roll. And that's the that was the feeling. This one's for Barry Mann. When you had that hit with Who Put the Bomb? Right. How did you feel about that? <laughs> uh, I was glad to have a hit because <laughs> I, I put a few records out before. It was, you know, it was really just a spoof song. It was a put on. I mean, it was not the kind of song that, that, that makes an artist. As a matter of fact, when they told me to cut an album, which I, I didn't want to do because I, there was no point in it. I mean, what, what was I going to do? I mean, if I cut an album of all funny records, maybe it would have, would have done something. But it wasn't, and it was a waste of money. I wanted to ask, for the benefit of all of our listeners, about some of the most well-known songs that you two wrote. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows you've lost that love and feeling. Right. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that one. We had met Phil Spector in New York, and he asked us to come out to California to write with him. And so we packed up our dog and hopped on a plane and went out to Los Angeles. We were staying at the Chateau Marmont because it was the only hotel that would let us have a dog and a piano. And Phil played us this record of these two guys from Orange County who really sounded black and we loved their sound. And we went back to the hotel and very suggested we write them a ballad. And I, I don't know where you got that idea, honey, because that we heard up-tempo stuff by then. Well, because we both love Baby, I Need Your Loving. Yeah, that's true. And I think that triggered You've Lost That Love. Yeah, that was our favorite record at, at the time. Point. It had a, a kind of 
yearning that was very touching to us. And so we sat down and, and started writing the song. And then when we got halfway through, we couldn't figure out how to end the chorus, right? Yep. And what to do in the bridge. And Barry, you called Phil and... Yeah, and we played, played, what, played what we had. He was he was really touched, especially when we came to the line, something, something beautiful's dying. He said it made him feel like crying. Anyway, then he picked up on it. Yeah, we went over to his house, and, and we finished the song. And he suggested that we do that that middle part, you know, and use that kind of hang-on, sloopy chord progression, you know, bum, 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 bum. Which uh, never would have dawned on me to go that direction for yeah. a bridge. Would, it, would you have ever thought of no, that? No, it was a, it was a, it was a very good contribution. I don't even know if this is possible to answer, but of the songs that you have written, could you guys pick a favorite song? Hmm. Does it have to be a hit? No, not at all. Uh, we wrote a song. We worked for a, a while on a musical of the movie Mass. And it was produced at Pasadena Playhouse, and there was a song in there called Close to Heaven that I think is probably one of the best lyrics I've ever written, and I love what Barry did. It's a shame that that it won't get heard, but I think that was certainly my favorite as far as my own contribution. Yeah, and I I feel the same way about the song myself. I think it's a a great song, melodically, too, and lyrically. It's it's, it's unbelievable. It's very Springsteen-esque. I was very inspired by him. Yeah, and there was another song in the the show that ended. It was a very kind of a long piece. What what, what, what was the title? I think we just called it Sturgis. Sturgis, and that song, too, is is, uh, I really love. And and then there's a song I wrote by myself called There's No Easy Way to Break Somebody. There's No Easy Way that James Ingram recorded. Kind of one of my favorites. Because I did it, you know, I did the lyric and the music. But it was a, it was a very soulful lyric because it was an experience that that I had 20 years before that, before I met Cynthia. I had broken up with a girlfriend, and it was very touching. And and it was that story. Yeah, I thought you didn't exist before you met. <laughs> well, one song that I think everybody knows, and I have to say, it's such a fantastic song. I love this song. Somewhere out there. Oh, what was yeah, the inspiration? Thank you. I love that thank song. Yeah. Oh, thank you. We kind of, I, I like it a lot too. I think it, it's very, it's timeless. And when we wrote it, I, Barry said this could have been written in the 1940s. And it was, won a couple of Grammys and it became a, kind of an instant standard. Yeah. It was, uh, and it was attached to an animated film, which, and at that time, which was the mid 80s, animation was kind of dead. And we thought that this film would, barely be seen uh, because it was about a Jewish mouse and so we, we just loved the script and we had the opportunity to work with Steven Spielberg because he was executive producer and so we felt very free in writing the songs for, for this movie because we thought no one would be listening. What was it like, you mentioned Mr. Mann about how much you liked Elvis, what was it like to have him record a song you wrote? You know, you could call me Barry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You know, the first time I saw him sing one of our songs, uh, he was in the movie. It was one of the movies he was in. He was you in mean the documentary? The documentary, and he sang, it was in Las Vegas. And he kept, he recorded two of our songs, Love and Feeling, and I Just Can't Help Believe It. And he, it was a bit going on in the movie. He kept, he was very nervous about forgetting the lyrics. He, you know, you'd see him in the dressing room trying to remember it, and he couldn't do it. He went on stage, and he forgot, he forgot some of the lyric on stage, too. But he kept going. It was, it was good. And then he did Love and Feeling, which was great. Look, it's, it's, it's Elvis Presley, man. And to, uh, it's iconic. It's iconic, exactly. It was a thrill. Well, on that note, 
the Beatles. That had to have been as thrilling, if not more. Well, which song are you talking about? Didn't they record live a song that you guys wrote, Where, where they, Have You Been All My Life? Yeah, but it was before they were the Beatles. Yeah, it was. Yeah, oh. it was yeah and it was recorded live in Germany. Yeah, I don't think Ringo was the drummer. It was uh, Pete Best. It was called Where Have You Been All My Life. Yeah. And it had been recorded by an artist named Arthur Alexander. And they were doing covers when they were playing in, in Germany. It was only until later that we found out that this was the Beatles and they had done this song. This one is for Cynthia Weil. I got to interview Tom Snow a while ago, and he talked about this song somewhere down the road. Yeah. What did you think of Barry Manilow's interpretation of that song? I really liked it, and it's Barry's favorite song that he didn't write. To me, no one ever sang it with the passion that Tom Snow sang it on the demo. The danger, uh, it's a danger for songwriters getting hooked on demo performances, and everybody after that has to live up to it. I happen to love the way Tom sings, so. But Barry did a great job, and we waited a long time for that record, so. What, what did Tom say about it? Well, it was kind of surprising. I appreciate his honesty, but he said that he didn't think it was as good <laughs> as what as what he had written. I mean, he, <laughs> he, he wasn't that fond of the interpretation. Yeah, but his, I, his interpretation was really great. His was amazing. It was very you know? touching the way he sang it. There's something about songwriters singing their own material that in a certain way sets a bar that can never be lived up to. Sometimes, stylistically, it can be top, but when it comes to pure emotion, I think songwriters are great singers, even when they can't sing. And Tom can sing, by the way. He's, just, he's got a wonderful tenor. I got the opportunity recently to interview Mike Stoller, mm. and I wanted to ask about the inspiration behind On Broadway. Well, you know, On Broadway, Cynthia and I wrote On Broadway by ourselves and had a, a different perspective. We wrote it, uh, it was written for a girls group. It was, they said, I hear the neon lights of Brown and Broadway. I hear that dreams come true there every day. And they say that dreams come true there every day. They say that something that can let you down. I, 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 anyway, it was about, it was for a girls group and it was, it kind of had the, the same melody. The melody was a little bit more Gershwin-esque. It was, I had the neon lights are bright on Broadway. It had the flavor of what, of the record that we ended up writing with Lieber and Stoll. But anyway, we finished a song that was recorded by a few artists, by the Crystals. It was never released. And, cookies. and the cookies that, uh, Jerry and, uh, Carol King and Jerry Goffin produced. But then, we heard the drifters were up. We, Cynthia and I thought, well, why don't we play for Jerry and Mike? Because it, it could have the feeling of the drifters. So we went up there and we played it for them. And they did like it. And they, But they said, of course, you know, it needs a change of lyric because it's it, this is a guy group. And they said, look, you could either go home and rewrite it yourself or you can write it with us. And we jumped at the chance to write with Libra and Stola. I mean, if there were anyone, any writers who were our idols, it would be Jerry and Mike. And we wrote it with them. And it was a very exciting writing session. They wrote differently than we did. I mean, Jerry would throw out lines, you know, he'd do, we'd work on the first verse, and if, if there was a line missing, instead of finishing the verse, he'd say, well, let's go on to the second verse and see what happens with that. It was an incredible writing session, and I mean, Cynthia said that she learned a lot from that, especially lyrically. Yeah, absolutely. Jerry was a genius. Yeah. He was really one of a kind. Yeah, I'm sorry I didn't write with him more. Mm-hmm. I really, and we wrote, we wrote also only in America with them too. Yeah, we could have written other songs. Another one of those just 
timeless songs is Don't Know Much, mm-hmm. Linda Ronstadt, and Aaron Neville. Yeah. What was the inspiration behind that one? You want to say, tell us something? Yeah. Sure. Well, my husband decided that he wanted to write a song alone with Tom Snow. Uh, uh, I was thinking the other perspective on it. Oh. Now, who you wrote it for? You wrote it, for, you wrote it for, about me. Well, but first of all, mm. so anyway, they got together and they wrote, they were having trouble with the lyrics. So they came to me, and when I heard the song, it made me think about Barry. And I wrote the lyric about him. So the man blessed with inspiration, searching for salvation, is Mr. Man. Yeah. Or Barry. <laughs> or Barry, right? I do call him Barry, no, but sometimes I make he makes me call him Mr. Man. I always feel like I'm a little kid talking when I say Mr. Man. <laughs> what makes a good song a good song? A lot of things. I like an intelligent, sophisticated lyric. Even even a rock song, if there's an intelligence behind it, I really like that. I think a song that has a melody that is memorable. I would say a great hook, but there are songs out now that don't have great hooks, but they're hits anyway. Relatability, I think it has to have something that everybody thinks, oh, I thought that, and they expressed it the way I would have liked to, but haven't. Who do you think are the best living songwriters out there? Oh, God, I I think Jimmy Webb is is really a genius. He's a great, great songwriter. And Paul Simon is fantastic. And he's just a... Great songwriter. I think Mark Cohn is a very is a terrific songwriter too. He's not as well known. He's wonderful. One of my favorite songs in the world is "Walking in Memphis," and Mark knows it too. I mean, there's one line in that song. It's one of the great lines of all time. He says, "Son, are you a Christian?" He says, "Ma'am, I am tonight." It's great. You know? Yeah. Just great. I would agree with Barry, and then of course there are the Stephen Sondheims and people in the theater who are fabulous. I mean, Sondheim is untouchable as a lyricist. As far as pop writers, I definitely would second all of Barry's choices. I think that Billy Joel is a great writer. Uh, he's a very yes. he's a very intelligent writer. He's not, he doesn't write, he's not as moving when it comes to ballads, even though there are some that you can point out, well, that it kind of is the opposite of what I'm saying. But generally, he's not, but he's a great, great songwriter. How important do you think it is to kind of evolve with the times when you are a songwriter. Oh, it was very important for us. I mean, because we, I mean, we just span so many uh, decades. I think it's important. I mean, else you, uh, if you want to keep writing, right, if, if you, you want to stay in the business, it's yeah. important. Yeah, writing changes all the time. Along with keeping up with the times, how important do you think it is for a songwriter to stay true to himself or herself? That's a really a great, great question. I think that even though we kept up with the times and music changed to some degree with each decade whatever we wrote it still had even though we were writing for those times it still had a lot of who we were anyway there's something maybe the chord progressions or maybe the syncopation of the song there's always there still was always something of us in the song i agree i think that expressed it perfectly when someone listens to a while and man song what oh, my God, th- I got top billing. That's a first. Or man in a while, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> what is it you want the listener of the song to get from the experience of listening? That's it. You want to take that? I would say the feeling that this is something that touches me, this is something that's true, and this is something that I can relate to my own life. 
I wanted to ask you about this book that you have, Rockin' Babies. Oh, goody. Tell us about that. Our daughter gave birth to twins, and it was a very difficult time because they both had severe colic in which babies can't keep their food down and they keep spitting it up. And so I would go over every night to help her feed them. And we would sit there for hours trying to get formula into these babies. Sometimes it was, you know, three hours to try to get a couple of ounces and have them keep it down. So we would talk and, and ramble. And one night I said to her, I don't know what we talked about before we had these babies. They've taken over our lives. Everything about them is fascinating. They're like the rock stars of our life. And my daughter said, yeah, there are rockin' babies. And then we started fantasizing about that. Look, we're like the paparazzi when we take their pictures. They spit on authority. And we started writing them down. And comparing babies to rock stars suddenly seemed very viable. And we wrote a whole bunch of things down, and then we submitted it to a publisher, and they liked it. So Rockin' Babies became a children's board book. You can get it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, and it's kind of reaction against fluffy bunny sweet books. It's a little more edgy and of the times, and it's been doing very well. We're very happy. This one's for both of you. What is the best thing about being Barry Mann? What is the best thing about being Cynthia Weil? Hmm. Well... I think the best thing about being Cynthia Weil is being married to Barry Mann. Oh, my God. Thank you, my sweetheart. And being the mother of and grandmother that I am and having lived the life that, that we've lived together. Yeah, I, I, would, I would say the same. Being a father to my daughter, who I love, and also the grandfather of her children is great. I also think the best part of me being me was just being fortunate that I was born with a, a talent that I didn't realize. I knew I had talent, but I didn't realize to, to, to what extent. And that, that's a fortunate thing because I was able to do something that I, I love doing. And not many people are born with that kind of a talent. Or the ability well, to use it the way you Yeah, do. to use it. So that, that would be my, my, my priority. My final question, for anyone who listens to this broadcast, wherever or whenever, it's totally open-ended. What would you like to say to all the listeners? I would like to thank them for listening and thank them for giving us the careers that we've had Mm -hmm. and the lives that we've had and tell them to keep supporting music. Yeah, I I would just second that. I think that's, that's absolutely the way I feel, too. Well, Cynthia, Barry, thank you very much for this interview. Our pleasure. It really is our pleasure. It was an Thank honor. Thank you, Paul. All right. You guys have a good one. You, uh, too. you too. The Paul Leslie Hour is hosted, produced, and written by Paul Leslie for Lifestyles Entertainment and Media. The Paul Leslie theme song composed, recorded, and produced by Jeff Pike. Outro music composed, recorded, and produced by John Goodwin, originally appearing in the short film Malukas and Vulnerable Jelly Things. Please consider subscribing to the Paul Leslie Hour. And if you like us, give us a review. It'll help other people to find this content. All past interviews are also available on YouTube. For more information, you can visit thepaulleslie.com and be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ThePaulLeslie. Thanks for listening. Be good.